Hi everyone, this is Nature Tripping. I'm Cathy. And I'm Jo. Welcome to our podcast. It's about going outside to experience the wildlife that's all around us. We're going to be chatting about where we are and what's happening. But sometimes we'll just leave the microphones recording so we can spend some time just listening. Hello everybody. In this episode of Nature Tripping, we're still in coronavirus lockdown. Um, we're diverging from learning birdsong because I haven't managed to get the recordings that I was supposed to get. Um, instead, what's that flying past now? Um, a crow. Look more exotic than a crow. Um, instead, we're uh, going for a walk on the moors this morning. We're standing on a grassy moor or rough grazing. There's a few sheep scattered about. Um, but we're looking across the valley to the opposite side. Got a quite a good perspective on, on it here. There's kind of steep-sided woody slopes at the bottom. And then the upper upper slopes are actually more gentle. And that's where the farmland is. There's grassy meadows, some patches of rocky outcrops and heather, and some small conifer plantations. And then above that is the moor proper, which is about 400 metres high. We've come out today because we looked at the forecast and it wasn't actually too windy. A lot of the time it's quite difficult doing field recording up here because of the wind. Um, but today we've got low winds. And you can still hear the wind for sure, but it's not um, causing problems for the microphones. It's a really light northwesterly, just enough to turn the wind farm turbines. Of which there are many. Yeah, well, basically, in the last 20 years, um, the horizon has become dotted with wind turbines, hasn't it? Mm. Um, and there's the iconic sound of a curlew. That's about three or four kilometres away on the moor over there. OK, how do you know that? Because... I've been spending a lot of time every morning listening to curlews out on these hills and working out which are the ones close to. So that was one up over there on those rocks on the horizon. Right. So some of you might remember that um, back in October we uh, were out in Morecambe Bay on the northwest coast of Britain. Uh, where Cathy does a BTO breeding bird survey. Wetland bird survey. Wet, wetland bird survey. And we talked then a little bit about curlews. And that was the winter time. And that population were overwintering on the estuary. Um, and mm. now that it's summer, some of those curlews are probably on these moors. They've come up to the moors. 
with a breeding season. Yeah, we've heard a few since we've been sitting here, haven't we? There's been um, one here in the foreground on this grassy moor, and then the others we've heard are over on that far side. And what they seem to like is rough patches of tassocky ground, bit of heather, bit of rough grass to nest in and then these damp grassy fields to feed in where they stick their beaks down into the ground to eat they get worms and worms and stuff (laughs) but it's actually incredibly dry at the moment the ground is really dry it's quite hard to find damp patches do you think that's affecting the curlew's ability to feed i think it must be doing yeah because it's um i mean we had the floods in february but since then we've had hardly any rain at all and I'd say usually those fields we're looking at usually are quite damp and marshy and there's quite a lot of rush in some of those fields but at the moment they're all really dry Um, what we can also hear is a nearby farm which has got quite a lot of pigs out in the field and a constantly barking dog so up above us we can hear skylarks singing Mm. oh so a couple of uh, horse riders have just gone by Um, there they go out for a morning ride Um, the dog, the dog, kind of behaved himself. <laughs> There's the skylark it's right there. Gosh, it's, it's a long way up. If you look in the direction of the sound, you can usually spot them. a tiny black speck fluttering about in the sky above, singing to mark out their territory. Yeah, and um, they're here all year. I think they might. I'm not sure what they do in the winter. I think they're resident, but whether or not they move off the moor. You don't see them in the winter on the moors. You see meadow pipits. I don't generally see skylarks around here in the winter. No. So I think maybe they just move somewhere a bit milder for winter. But at the moment, I think there's more than one singing as well. Again, once one starts the next door territory skylark will start up as well yeah so, you know, we, we had it with other birds in the other podcast didn't we, where there's two birds singing off at each other yeah to yeah. delineate their territories what's really noticeable for me um Is a lack of aircraft? Yeah. I mean, I know I, I have heard the occasional plane. If you're doing field recording, uh, the aeroplane is one of those sounds that the microphone really picks up and seems to amplify. So mm. you get this descending drone, which, um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a drone. <laughs> but not when you're trying to record wildlife yeah when you're out field recording it can sometimes be quite tricky to get an extended period of recording without 
an aeroplane going by and the interference of the drone. But right now, that's something that I'm mm. really enjoying the lack of the lack of aircraft during the during this lockdown phase. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and also traffic. I mean, we can't actually hear any road noise up here. I'm sure we would be ordinarily. Yeah, we can hear everything a lot more clearly in the past few weeks. It's just all round a more peaceful experience, isn't it? Yeah. We haven't got the usual microphones. No. I think we've. I think you've brought some microphones that we usually use indoors. Yeah, I've brought some studio microphones because my other microphones aren't behaving properly. They're a stereo pair, which means they're supposed to be like matched in terms of everything and one of them's started recording a much lower level than mm. the other one so I've had to send them mm. away uh, and mm. these these ones are covered in something that looks like seal skin well no seal it's, fur. it's not seal skin Cathy it's um, synthetic fur I just whipped this up on the sewing machine yesterday mm, very nice <laughs> and a straight one well only gently because yeah, I could hear that in the <laughs> headphones. Uh, yeah, so they're there to um, dissipate the wind. So the landscape around here is quite interesting. I mean, overall, the geology's millstone grit, and we're in the southern end of the Pennines, and we're very near the watershed. So if we, we can, we can see the valley in front of us, which drains down eastwards eventually through Yorkshire but only a couple of kilometres up the road is the next valley draining down into Lancashire. So, And these valleys are really deep cut. So like, like I said, the, the lower slopes are really steep and the tops are quite flat and this shallow, gently sloping agricultural area in, in between. And I guess because the lower slopes are so steep, they're not easy to cultivate no. and that's why we have got a reasonable amount of tree cover yeah, so on the lower slopes. Yeah, so these, this, this slope, the lower slopes are steep and rocky and gouged out by streams and with wooded gullies. And the ancient people who settled here settled the upper slopes and you've got scattered farms and an ancient road across the higher slopes. And it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution that the valley bottoms got kind of colonised and um, mills, roads, railways, canals and factories. Yeah, so the um, millstone grit, nice soft water yeah. for washing cotton, processing cotton, fast-flowing streams. Um, the bottom of the valley used to be full of mills and in fact there are still some mills they're not operational as mills but um, there are still some of those old mill buildings you can see in this valley the yeah. the industrial past exactly. so the, the valleys are very post-industrial where we're standing is a bit of an old quarry and also quite nearby old coal mines not like deep shaft coal mines but more Mines where you just dig out the coal or dig into the slope to get the coal. Remember, we once met that guy on the canal. He used to walk up from the town to 
Dig coal up here. No. <laughs> no, that was in living memory. Well, in living memory as well, there used to be a lot more industry in the valley bottom. Yeah. Much more manufacturing in the valley. Like there was a rubber factory up the road. Sofa factory. Furniture factory. Lots so, of textile so factories. Intensive in industry and source of employment. Yeah, in the like 80s even. Yeah, 80s. 80s, 90s. There's a cuckoo. That'll have flown in somewhere from Africa, maybe. And I'll be scouting around for a little warbler's nest. Yeah, <laughs> probably a willow warbler, isn't it? It's a hijack. Um, shall we wander over to another part of the moor? Okay. Maybe if we go to a spot where we might be able to hear some more curly, hmm. or maybe venture onto some land which is being managed for grass moors, and maybe have a bit of a controversial conversation, or maybe a wooded valley. What do you fancy? Maybe a wooded valley. A wooded valley? Okay. I think that that will be lovely. So we've come down from the moortops onto the steep banks of the valley and we're in a little gully. Yeah, we're in a little gully <laughs> um, that's been eroded away by a stream. Yeah, so the stream has come off the moor and we're at the bottom end of where those sort of gently sleeping fields were. And the stream is beginning to tumble in a sort of series of waterfalls and steep drops down the valley side. And it's very picturesque because at the moment the bank sides of this wooded valley are covered in bluebells. And the sunlight is filtering through the fresh green leaves of the sycamores and ash trees. And it's very tranquil. 
We don't imagine that many people come here because mm. um, it's quite difficult for access on foot. Yeah, but even we've got here following fox paths. Yeah, there's actually look a little fox path there. If you look on, up the valley side on both sides, you can see these little uh, trails through the bluebells, which are clearly, I think, where animals like maybe foxes and badgers and even deer yeah. are coming down to drink at the water's edge in some of the small pools that are dotted along the length of the stream. Um, I suppose one thing that we have not talked about very much, if at all, in our podcasts so far, are creepy crawlies, insects and other invertebrate life. But this stream, looking at it, the water's crystal clear and there's a nice um, rocky pebbly substrate with not much sediment on it so you could expect uh, living in that stream there's going to be lots of life um, so let me have a look fly larvae for example what i'll do is i'll go and get stone from the river and we'll have a look on the underside and we'll see if there's anything living i'll be back in a second We've just got a couple mm. of rocks Blimey. from the water's edge. And you can see on there, it's a small kind of colony of, well, it was about 25 small things, which were about half a centimetre long, look like blobs of sand. Yeah, now, in each of those, there'll be a little caddisfly larvae. Mm. So these are... Which they look like little grubs, but they'll emerge. Is that actually is that one having yeah, that one cover? Has come out of its mm. cover? So that's going to grow uh, into a fly and emerge from the water. It's like, what sort of fly? It's a caddis fly. And these are called cased caddis. Mm. Um, and they're because, using sand. Yeah, they take little grains of sand, or some of them take leaves and wood, and they they build these little Caribans. houses. And so you glue them onto, yep. each, onto themselves. Um, mm. And it's a sign of a good quality river if you've got caddisfly. Mm. And I also looked in there at the moment. There's other little um, fly larvae darting about in the water. Mm. And um, one of the ways of telling the quality of the water course is to actually kick about in it and stir up everything. Well, Jack Jack did that, didn't he? When he got well, home. yeah. Mm. Uh, but for ecological survey work, uh, you can do something called a kick heel sample. Right. You, so you deliberately in, kick it. Yeah, up. you yeah. go into the river with a big net. You kick up the substrate. Yeah. And everything that dislodges from the substrate or the sediment ends up in the net. Yeah. And then um, you have a look at what's in the net. And because different species can tolerate different levels of pollution in a watercourse, mm. you can tell from the range of species you've got there and then the number of each species what the quality of your watercourse is and whether you've got yeah. um, well, I mean, pollution issues or not. Yes, so the only thing that's above this is probably a couple of farms. Yeah. So there might be some... 
they might do some max burning and then there might be a septic tank. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Up here we've got the things that you'd kind of um, consider if you had a polluted river, I guess, would be farm effluent or, or domestic effluent yeah. from a septic tank that isn't working, for or example. if they were applying fertilisers or... Yeah, I mean, maybe at certain occasions in the year when um, they're maybe applying weed killer to the fields where they're trying mm. to improve the quality of the grass. Having said that, the, the immediate meadows are generally hay meadows full of flowers. Yeah. Um, when when they, um, you know, later on in the summer. Then, oh, I'm going to put these stones yeah. back. So come and have a look down here in the water. It's so clear, you can see right through to the bottom. Mm. You see that lump of, looks like two stones, yeah. moving along the bed yeah. of the Oh my goodness. Stream. That's another species of caddis fly. That's more like a centimetre and a half long. It's got two big bits of bark on it, yeah. looks of things. And it's moving at quite a rate. So I guess it's going along the bottom looking for things to eat. So what do they eat? What do they eat? I mean stuff from the sediment. I guess some bulbs so. from yeah. the sediment. Yeah. Um, and maybe smaller invertebrates. Yeah, or I don't know whether the carnivorous now it's climbing up a rock. Oh, I can see tentacles. Wow. Scooting along. See if I disturb the water, mm. things start swimming about up a bit. Do you see those little black stripes? Yeah. Those are little fly larvae. They're called olives for short. So, just be careful when you go for a dip. <laughs> you're, you're going get for a, a nip. dip with all sorts of <laughs> other things yeah. as well. It's densely populated. This river here will be very densely populated because it's such a clean river. Mm. Yeah. And of course, but, but all those invertebrates provide food for other creatures further up the food chain. So those larvae will hatch into flies and in, in, insects yeah. that become food for the bats and insectivorous birds yeah. in, the, in the woods. Yeah. So, Cathy, whilst I've been doing a spot of recording, you've gone onto the internet and looked up to see what uh, cased caddis fly or caddis fly eat. Yeah. What have you found out? Basically, they're mainly herbivores so they're eating well I suppose that's sediment really I suppose they're eating tiny particles of organic matter bits of vegetation uh, in, in lurking in the sediment and they're also eating algae or chewing up bits of vegetation I mean some are carnivores but most of them are vegetarians yeah <laughs> okay thank you for that it's always useful to have the internet on hand and they they use a sort of silk to stick the fragments of sand or um, plant matter onto themselves to make their shell okay like a spider might mm. have silk mm. right interesting
So yesterday we recorded, we were recording in the Bluebell Woods and we've come back the following day to a different part of the moor, to a wooded river valley quite high up on the sort of farming slopes of our local hills. So it's one of the tributaries of the river. It's fairly steeply sided, but it's not a, it's not a gorge. And we're surrounded by fields, upland grazing, I think you'd say. But there's something special about this bit of the valley, isn't there? Mm. So we're in, we're on the edge of a, a woodland which has been planted, and it's one of. There were lots of woods which were, I think, part of some agricultural subsidy scheme, and they were planted about 20 to 30 years ago, all over the country. But these happen to be in upland areas. So we're, we're literally at the edge of a barbed wire fence. And on one side of the fence, the side that we're standing, we've basically got the normal, quite difficult, tussocky, grassy, rough pasture. Unimproved. Yeah. And there's um, a few sheep around and a few cows around, but yeah. fairly extensive grazing. And then on the other side, however, we've got a lovely young woodland. Yeah, so these trees are all about 15 to 20, 25 years old. And there's Scots pine, birch, alder, rowan, and silver birch mainly, and a few oak, and a few holly. And what's quite noticeable is, as you approach this area, the soundscape changes, doesn't it? Yeah. So suddenly you start hearing a lot more birds. Like, compared with yesterday when we were up on the top of the moor and we could hear a distant curlew, a cuckoo and a, sing, a single... Yeah, a couple of skylarks. Yes. If you listen now, there's lots of different birdsong. So... As soon as there's any small amount of woodland, basically some birds that can thrive in that habitat kind of turn up, colonise it. Yeah, so there's willow warbler are singing fairly constantly. There are wrens, blue tits, great tits. And I think it also provides shelter for other birds living out in the open country. And this fence is extremely important, isn't it? Yeah. So if you look at the actual, what, what we've talked about, the trees, but if you look at the vegetation on the ground, within the fence, within the enclosure... Actually, I learnt a new word when I went on that um, trees for life thing, exclosure. So the fence is acting as an exclosure to exclude sheep and cows. So yeah. within the fence, boundary of the fence, there's far more vegetation, there's a lot more grass, there's some bracken and ferns, there are bilberries bit of heather and one thing is though the vegetation inside the fence is kind of typical of the land before it was planted there's no kind of forest floor vegetation that you would get in a well-established ancient forest or like bluebells mm, exactly or wooden enemy no no and i presume there isn't the fungal life in the soil that you would get in a, an established forest Having said that, however, it's extremely diverse mm. in the number of species there in the vegetation mm. compared with the Abs X... What's it called? Well, the, the outside, yes, beyond the fence. In the surrounding field, there's far less variety of 
um, plants visible. I think, you know, if we got down on our hands and knees, there's, there's quite a few plants, different types of plants in there, but it's all very closely grazed. It looks as though it's bare. So any, any small um, tree seed that happens to land here and establish itself has got a really high chance of being nibbled. Yeah, I mean, in fact... In fact, there aren't any trees well, in this Well, there's one bit. just right there. There's a little row in sapling. It's not going to survive for long, no, though, is it? No, it's been heavily eaten and nibbled already. Um, everything, basically, on this side of the fence, the outside of the fence, gets eaten. Mm. And within the fence, within the wooded, planted area, it's all growing freely. Well, having said that, we, there are deer in here, aren't there? Yeah. Roof. So this is a, a wood... Which um, somehow they can get over the fence. Well, deer will get over any fence unless it's um, about two meters. I think a good, you need a two-meter fence to keep deer out. So this this won't function to exclude the deer. But round here, the deer population is not that intense. Yeah, and I think um, just in terms of like. The way it makes you feel when you come down the valley and you see the trees and you see the light glinting in the spring leaves and you hear the bird song mm. and it just is a very peaceful, calming. I mean, I know it's a lovely, mm. sunny morning, but it's just such a pleasant experience compared with turning turning round, looking up the slope, well, just mm. seeing bare. Grassy, tussocky yeah. slope. It's almost like an oasis in the desert. I isn't think it? that's a good word. Yeah, because if we look all around, we're surrounded by bare hills, quite tightly grazed. Although there aren't that many animals, everything is grazed and it's very bare. And I think the other thing with these small patches of woodland is they provide habitat for lots and lots of insects. So that's why the willow warblers here it's an insectivorous bird yeah and so there's a kind of larder of insects that just wouldn't be in this area and swallows love it as well so often you see swallows kind of working their way up and down the margins of the wood feeding on the insects would you say it's about three or four hectares or less not really that much well it's kind of rewilded isn't it yeah it's it's a small section of valley that's been rewilded, um, but just imagine what it would be like. Yes, so I think these, if we rewild it all, mm, these small wood patches of farmland, woodland, were planted before rewilding was a thing. You know, twenty or twenty odd years ago. Mm. But what they represent is the species of trees that would have been here on this land, hundreds and thousands of years. Ago. So there have been careful choices made about which species Absolutely. to plant. So like you said, silver birch, rowans. Oak, Scots pine. Yeah. Very varied, but all plants that, uh, trees that um, are found naturally occurring in this area. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still human-made, isn't it? It's kind of like a sample or a demonstration <laughs> project. You could still argue it's artificial. Yeah, because we came, people came in here and planted all these trees. Yes, uh, and decided let's make a bit of wood here. Works well because they've they've, they've planted it in the valley in the uh, on the valley sides, so it's more sheltered, um, and 
There's a habitat, it's got the combination of the stream and the woodland and some shelter. And the trees aren't too densely packed together, are they? Mm. So there are open areas, which I guess would be more the case if this was a habitat that had just gone through natural succession. Yeah. So you've just heard the distant curlew. So in the fields a little bit higher up, about 500 metres to a kilometre away, there are a couple of pairs of curlew and doing some territorial singing. I think, and you can also hear, which we haven't mentioned because it's just a constant background noise for us, is the mechanical kind of churning, droning noise of the wind turbines. Mm. So behind us, a bit further up the valley. Yeah, they're about 500 metres away. Yeah, we've got some massive wind turbines. And uh, it's it's not very windy today, but they're still, their blades are going round. And you can hear the internal workings from quite a long way away. Sometimes you can hear a whooshing noise as well, a gentle whoosh. I think there are several willow warblers singing. I think there might also be chaffinch right far down there as well. Uh, the willow warbler goes bee 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 bee. It's got a, a song that's always pretty similar and it's a descending, descending in pitch. It sort of peters out. Quite high pitched because it's only a very tiny little brown bird. Yeah. Again, one of those birds is hard to spot. And you don't really identify it by looking at it. It just looks like many other warblers. But it's got this very distinctive song. And it's flown in from wintering in Africa, breeding in this part of the country. The other thing to say about this rewilded slope is because you've got um, a much more diverse substrate, lots of plants, um, the amount of water that's going to run off this slope and the speed at which it's going to run off is going to be a lot less compared with the more barren vegetation absolutely on the on the other slope so it's really good around here to have this type of habitat because yeah. it slows the flow that's right it's actually a movement called slow yeah. the flow isn't it yeah, yeah. Um, which is really important because town we live in yeah it often gets flooded isn't yeah it? so the trees themselves put down the roots and enable the rainwater to percolate deeper into the soil by the tree root systems and any of these sort of bigger plants do that, whereas the sort of short grassy moor, hard packed by the grazing sheep, water just runs straight off it. 
straight into the streams, straight down the valley. I think just the fact that you've got lots of just like this fern here and the bilberry, uh, you've got lots of stalks, yeah. stems, dead vegetation. You've got physical barriers okay. in place to impede the flow as well. And much more organic material which can absorb water as well. Yeah. A sort of thicker mat of water retaining material. Oh, there's a butterfly. Orange tip. Yeah. Tree planting as a flood prevention measure has been going on yeah. all over this valley. Yeah. yeah. And now, you know, linking that with rewilding, it's got multiple benefits for wildlife as well as and for humans. And for humans, yeah. because... It's just a much more enriching environment, natural mm. environment, to be in, I think. You wouldn't want to see it all entirely forested. I think the ideal combination would be areas of meadow, areas of woodland, areas of more, you know, a kind of variegated patchwork pattern. Yeah, the more diversity, I guess, the more biodiversity, yeah. the more nooks and crannies and niches. And, and margins between different types of habitat yeah so that's it for this podcast um join us again for whatever comes next uh and i think we've really enjoyed just poking about and going out um the front door and taking a closer look at um what's close to home so yes i think in this coronavirus lockdown time is it it's quite challenging isn't it not to be able to go where you want and do what you want but sometimes it is good to just focus more intensively on what's nearby and examine it more closely and come and listen okay see you later everybody bye 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 <laughs>